we're talking hundreds of boats. Her particular boat ship is called a pleasure barge. Yeah. We're talking clouds of incense, food, jewels, fabrics, sluts, and everything you need. And you smell them for a mile, musicians. I mean, uh, right? She rolls up to the forum and Mark Antony is like, hey girl, wow, this is awesome. Why don't you come up in here? into the forum and let's get drunk yeah right <laughs> history i'd like to follow me down the rabbit hole history i'd like to frankly i want to know <laughs> hi welcome to hilf history i'd like to fuck with don brody <laughs> i'm don brody and we're together in The Den. That's the Deluxe Edition Network. To find more great podcasts in The Den, click the link in our show notes or go to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. This is part two of the hilfing of Cleopatra with my guest, journalist-turned-comedian Kiki Anderson. Now, if you want to hear about the rise of Cleopatra within the Ptolemy Empire, how she became Julius Caesar's baby mama and then brought a giraffe to Rome before her husband got fucking stabbed to death, go back to part one because it's a wild ride. In this part, we pick up after the dramatic reveal from Caesar's will, gasp, Octavian, right? And catch up with Mark Antony, who has taken his jealousy and lust for revenge all the way to Cleopatra's (laughs) panties. Let's get started. TMZ could never. (laughs) They wish. (laughs) Oh, welcome back. Kiki, you are so great and so funny. We are here still around my kitchen table. We are drinking Modellos. Mm -hmm. We're falling steadily in love with each other. This is marvelous. It's true. Um, I have a quiz for you right out of the gate. Oh, I'm ready. Okay. So, question. In what year did Cleopatra first appear on film? Multiple choice. Was it A, 1917, B, 1934, or C, 1966? Well, I know Elizabeth Taylor famously portrayed her, but I feel like that's not the first time. Mm-hmm. And that was probably 1966. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say no to 1966. Okay. I'm going to go a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. What was option B? 1934. Yeah, let's say 1934. It's good. It's the middle of the road. It was 1917. What? Boom. Ah. Okay. Silent film. If you go to YouTube, I'll have it linked in our show notes. You can see a little bit of it. It actually looks amazing. I bet. Um, the 1934 film, Cecil B. DeMille, also very cool, very <sighs> gorgeous. They are, and God knows the 1966 with Elizabeth Taylor. Mm-hmm. They lob on to the same shit I did, the same shit we are, which is like, she was such a badass bitch. She was young. She was powerful. She was ambitious. She was smart. And everybody talks about how fucking elaborate and gorgeous she was, how she used her sexuality. sexuality. She used her wealth. Mm -hmm. She she knew how to have you on your heels, how Mm -hmm. to make you kind of, uh, when she walked in and how powerful that could be for her. You know what I mean? And that looks fucking great. Question for you. Yes. Was she hot? Oh, this is the question. You know, if you listen to that, 
BBC mm-hmm. podcast. Mm-hmm. This gal is asked. She's she's in charge of separating myth from reality, uh-huh. and she's an Egyptologist. So I read a few books and like to sound smart. This bitch been doing it for years, right? And they asked her, what do you think is the biggest misconception about Cleopatra? And she said it was hard to answer, but she does wish that she was portrayed by something other than a gobsmackingly beautiful woman. She said that that is difficult for her because it was, she can't say she wasn't hot because mm-hmm. nobody knows what she looks like. We literally have from her time one coin. Julius Caesar minted a coin uh, with Cleopatra's profile on it. Right. Her likeness, there is no other likeness that was made anything from imagination, people who were imagining what she looked like after she died. Because didn't they fucking tear everything down after she died? Yeah, a lot of that happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of it was intentional, but some of it is also... You know, the Dark Ages, <laughs> you know, Dark Ages, Middle Ages, World Wars, all these things. But yeah, the, the deliberate erasing of a queen actually predates Cleopatra. You may be thinking about Nefertiti. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who uh-huh. was uh-huh. deliberately defaced and right. erased in, in more kind of ways that we can't really understand because it happened a thousand years before. Yeah, they like hate crimed her. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, so her effect on men is the reason why a lot of these sources are depicting her as mind-bogglingly beautiful, which, of course, is one way. Uh-huh. <laughs> you and I couldn't be hotter. We're the hottest women I've ever seen. <laughs> so you and I, of course, completely know how you walk into a room and men are powerless against you. Imagine these common-looking women <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, who have to do things like be awesome. You know what I mean? It, uh-huh. What it does, this sort of presumption, is it diminishes the idea that this woman, and by extension, any woman could have this effect on men Uh without being the most fuckable thing they'd ever seen. Right. But it's very difficult to argue that point when she fucked them both and had their babies. So, yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm but saying. The question like, is well, this, she, she just came through dripping or well, like... But, the, but the, the, this is a question you could ask about Jay-Z and be... Right? The right. question is, do they really love each other or is this an alignment to, uh-huh. to make them both more powerful? So, so did they want to fuck her? Was that, oh, this hot babe, ooh, Cleopatra, mm, I gotta put my dick in her. Or were they like, our children would rule forever? Right. Right? And, and, and we don't know. <laughs> but it is definitely more fun to make her hot and it sells a lot more tickets. Yeah. The 1972 film version of Shakespeare's Anthony and Cleopatra is also great. Charlton Heston plays Mark Antony. Very it's nice, very good. Very nice. um, and the friends... Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Marlon Brando plays Mark Antony. Oh, yeah! In that movie. But that is the movie of Julius Caesar. Mm -hmm. It's not the movie of Antony and Cleopatra. And in fact, in the play Julius Caesar, Cleopatra doesn't even have any lines. (laughs) So who cares? Um, And then, yeah, look for that new movie with Gal Gadot coming out in 24-25. And, you know, Gal Gadot, so boring, so common. At least, I think, finally, our Egyptologist had her request granted, and they got a nice, boring-looking woman like Gal Gadot (laughs) to play Cleopatra. Hideous. At last, a normal-looking woman, you know. Um, All right, are you ready to fuck the conclusion of this poor bitch? All right, we're lubed up. Okay, so... Here is how we find our girl Cleopatra at the beginning of this story. It is 44 BC. Mm. She's back in Alexandria after the murder of her husband, 
Okay. She's got her son cesarean for sure. These they're like, that was fucking crazy. Mm -hmm. Okay. But things are going for them very well. Okay. Right. Alexandria is at peace. Egypt in general is expanding. They're, they're building new temples. Her, the people's love and devotion for her appears to be only growing. Oh. Everything's fantastic. Amazing. There is, if we're going to decide there's something wrong, some of Rome's enemies are a little too close to her borders for comfort. Okay. Okay. They don't have a beef with Egypt necessarily, but they know that Egypt feeds Rome and it'd be best if they weren't doing this and Rome's really the one to So she has some requests, but generally everything is going okay. 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 Maybe stay off the turf. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As for Tony, okay, he's, he's in a shit storm back there in Rome. Okay. He's, he is uh, friends for now with Octavian. They've Uh decided it's you and me, brother, going to go get these goddamn assassins that killed our daddy. And, uh, and yet are we going to, we're going to have to figure out how, are we going to go after our enemies? Who's going to rule when it's all done? We'll jump off one bridge at a time. (laughs) But for now, a story. Now, if you recall in part one, we began with the rug, Mm -hmm. how our exiled 22 year old Cleopatra got unfurled (laughs) on some floor, right? (laughs) Well, this is how Cleo meets Tony. 41 BC, in the city of Taurus, which is modern-day Turkey. Mm-hmm. This is a few years after Caesar's died. Okay. And Mark Antony and Octavian, they're hot on the pursuit of these assassins. So they've been all over the place hunting down and getting these guys and fighting the good fight. And things are going very well. And the assassins are losing. And everything's coming up Tony. Okay? And this is a very respectful amount of distance from Caesar's death, whatever happens next. <laughs> That's right. It's three-ish years after he's dead. That's right. Thank you for pointing that out. I'm sure that the ghost of Mark Antony appreciates this kind of commentary. Exactly. And he is at the forum in this city of Terrace. And, and when we talk about a forum, it's the forum of Dionysus, who's the god of wine. Love Mark her. Antony, big fan. Yeah. yeah. Loves wine, loves Dionysus. And the form of Dionysus, I like to think of it like a convention center. Okay. It's kind of like a church or like a mega church. Like it's a temple. Ostensibly, it's here to worship this god, but there's lots of room for activities, <laughs> banquet halls, places to sell your stuff. You know, it's yeah. a multicultural art center. <laughs> exactly. It's gorgeous. It's a draw. The uh-huh. whole point is it's a co- people come there to do the thing, and that's why it's there. And he's there, and it's so close to Egypt. It's just right on the other side. And so he's like, have Cleopatra come talk to me. I'd like to talk to Cleopatra. And he sends for her. Well, you don't really send for Cleopatra. And she doesn't show up. What? She just doesn't go. She doesn't, she replies and she's like, no, you don't send for me. And it wasn't, to be fair, a booty call. He was not like, hey girl, like, remember me? Because there is some shit going on with her Navy. They were like, Egypt, go get these assassins. And to their assertion that Navy maybe just didn't do every darn thing it could to get those. And we're wondering, is she with us or against us? Is How devoted is she to the cause of going to get these? So he's kind of like calling her to task. I want to know what's up. Uh-huh. Right. And she's also, like, I remember like them me. legs. Yeah. Also, I'm like, I remember you. <laughs> so finally she agrees to his summons and sister shows up in Terrace. <gasps> You remember how I told you how she showed up in Rome? Yeah. Oh, boy. That, she had to go a lot further. This is, she can bring a lot more shit. Because uh, it's like yeah. right across the thing there. The good jewels. She, I mean, we're talking hundreds of boats. 
Her particular boat ship is called a pleasure barge. Yeah. We're talking clouds of incense, food, jewels, fabrics, sluts. And everything you need, and you smell them for a mile, musicians. I mean, uh, right? She rolls up to the forum, and Mark Antony is like, hey, girl, wow, this is awesome. Why don't you come up in here, into the forum, and let's get drunk? Yeah. Right? And she goes, no, 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 you come down to the boat. I got, I got. Yeah, you come to the party. Yeah, buddy, I got. You bring all your friends down to my boat, okay? Mm-hmm. And he does. And they have the night of their lives. She gives these guys him re- jewels and food and just, it's awesome, right? Yeah. And at the end of it, she, you're somewhere in the middle of it, she's like, we should do this again tomorrow. <laughs> Don't you guys think so? Let's do it again tomorrow. And they go, great. <laughs> yeah, we'll see you tomorrow, Cleopatra. Yeah. <laughs> and night two, man. Boat party. They get even bigger. Oh my God. There's even more food. And everybody's dancing. And this is just like fucking nuts. This is the most beautiful shit we've ever seen in our lives. She rocks. Yeah. And then the next day, she's like, you know what? I'll go see your farm now if you want. <laughs> and, Mark, and Mark Antony is like, oh, God, I got to be honest. I was like really excited about it when you first got here. And now I just kind of feel like you're going to be like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And she goes, no, no, I, I want to see it. And he takes her to the forum. And she says he's a perfect host. And she applauds. This is great. This nice is awesome. Nice Pulp Fiction poster. She's like, yeah, girl, listen, I used to live in a tent in a desert. Like, I'm a real person. This is very, like, Padme and Anakin. <laughs> you know? It's like, I'm just a real girl. Like, I'm the richest woman on earth. I'm just, yeah. like, a normal person, yeah, you know? Studio apartment's cute. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then she goes, but... We should party on the boat again tonight. Don't you feel like we're going to party up here? That was a little small. And he goes, yeah. What we know is that third night, he spends the night. And that's it. Anthony <laughs> and Cleopatra are a unit. A unit. Are From they inseminated? Yeah, well, I mean, do we know exactly? But certainly. <laughs> and I'll tell you this. I used to live aboard a houseboat. I lived aboard a houseboat on the Mississippi River for nine years. And I'm here to tell you, they are the best parties. Yeah. And if you want to get laid, follow a woman to a boat. <laughs> they proceed after this night on what I call the summer of love. These two are inseparable. And... As you know, arguably the most famous love story in history, Antony and Cleopatra, Romeo and Juliet, Cupid, and you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. Persephone. I feel like you kind of have these like famous love stories. And it's a question we sort of danced around when we first started talking about this, which is, is it love? Is it that he loves her? Is it that he's lusting for her? She's so beautiful, he wants to fuck her? Or is this just two ambitious people who are together for convenience and Mm -hmm. we're looking at it through this lens of like, make it a TV show for me kind of stuff, right? So here is your next question. Uh I'm going to give it to you. Because this is a historical mystery. There is no right or wrong answer. But I'm very curious to know what Kiki Anderson thinks about all this. Excuse me, that Modelo. God damn. Woo! <laughs> now mm. we're, on, we're all on Cleopatra's boat today. Damn. <laughs> Amen, right? Welcome aboard. Um, so I'm going to give you three solid arguments for team. They were totally in love. It was the real deal. Okay. We should embrace this as a real love story. Okay. 
And then I'm going to give you three historical arguments for, nah, this is a relationship of convenience. It's a business. It's a business transaction. Yeah. Okay? Okay. And then we'll hear what you think, okay. how you want to sort it out. All right. Which do you want to hear first? Ooh, okay. Let, let's go for love. Always love first. Love first. God bless you. Okay. Three arguments. Argument number one, they have a lot in common. Okay, they both genuinely loved Julius Caesar. And loving Julius Caesar is kind of like loving NASCAR. You know what I mean? It's not just that you love cars. You love the whole thing. You lo- There's a bigger umbrella. It's a cultural <laughs> phenomenon, yeah. Yeah, if you love NASCAR, I know a lot of other things that you love. And you're, it means we're aligned kind yeah. of in a lot of other ways, right? Um, and, and they were both devoted to avenging his death and seeing that he was avenged. So that does bring people together, right? Mm -hmm. They also have, no shit, Kiki, this like romantic comedy summer in Alexandria, which is known to be the most beautiful city on earth in throughout history. And especially at this time, they both liked to dress like commoners and just go hang out in Alexandria and pull pranks on each other and like (laughs) run around and pretend to be other people. And they would go fishing. And he, at one point there's this hilarious story about him being scared because he was, he wanted to show her what a good fisherman he was, but he wasn't catching any fish. So he had one of his servants go down and like start putting fish (laughs) on his hook so that he could always like pull out these huge fish, but she knew what he was doing. So she had one of her divers go down and put a dead fish on the (laughs) hook. So when he pulled it up, she'd be like, ha ha. I mean, it's adorable. Like there's documented. Yes. There's a, there's like a soundtrack under this. I mean, as documented (laughs) as anything is, but yeah, these stories circulate about them just like literally having a ball together and being together all the time. Yeah. It's adorable. Yeah. Okay. Um, Number two reason for the argument for, oh yeah, these two were in love. Mm -hmm. Um, Antony stays in Egypt way too long. If this is a business transaction, if these two are just in it for the, the, the Benjamins, right? Yeah. 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 There was a lot of reasons he should have fucking left like months before he did. Mm Mm-hmm. He's gone long enough to get her pregnant, spoiler alert, alienate his wife. Oh, word. Oh, word. Oh, he's married. Yeah. And enough time to stir up Octavian to be able to be like, where's Antony? Yeah. What the fuck, man? He's he's a bad husband. He's not, he doesn't care about Rome. He doesn't care about his family. Where the fuck is Antony? Don't you guys think we should start questioning whether Antony, mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm. And he could solve all that by just going back to Rome. Sounds a little pussy whipped. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Alexandra is so nice. (laughs) <laughs> and everyone's calling him a god, which is great. Um, What's not to love? Right. Third primary reason one argues this is love is because as he is dying, he goes through a lot to get to Cleopatra and die in her arms. Ah, I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So that, I mean, there's these are solid reasons. You can write your plays. Like anyone who says it was a love story, you can't call him a fucking idiot with just that. Like it's plausible. But if you're a cynic, mm-hmm. you don't believe in love. The world is burning. Everyone's in it for something. Oh, I don't want you to ruin it for me. Okay. All right, ruin it for me. Okay. <laughs> One, these two desperately need each other for their very survival. Mm-hmm. So that they may have also had awesome summers together and thought each other was hot was great. But they had no other choice. They were one another's only hope. For Mark Antony, he has to have the loyalty of Egypt and he needs her money and he needs her land to go after the enemies 
that he has to defeat. Mm-hmm. He, she is imperative to his plan. Okay. She cannot keep rule in Egypt if Rome abandons her. Mm-hmm. They will either take it for themselves or they will let the enemies take it and negotiate with a happier person. Yeah. They are <laughs> critical. And there is no one but Mark Antony for her in that case. And he has no one better. So critical yeah, allies. Critical allies. Okay. Two reason for this being transactional. Antony is not only married when this whole thing happens with Cleopatra, when he does ultimately finally fucking leave Egypt and go back to Rome, he gets married again to Octavian's sister to make everybody. So he pretty much only sees his relationships as like transactional. Wait, wait, wait. Right? So he's got three wives? And this brings us to point three. <laughs> it isn't just that he marries women, that women are a thing. It is that the marriages that Antony makes are all exclusively transactional. And when they lose their usefulness, they're fucking done. First one was this gal, Fluvia. She's the woman he's married to when he first starts fucking Cleopatra. Yeah. And Fluvia's no slouch. Like Roman women are not God queens, but they are badass bitches too when they need to. And Fluvia was like, she was the first non-mythical woman to be put on coins. Ah! So she was like a She's not thing. nothing. She ain't nothing. She's a thing on her own. And she has a lot of weight. She can throw that weight around and she does. And she's a little bit like, <laughs> you guys in Egypt for so long. And she takes the initiative while he's in Egypt, along with Antony's brother, to poke at Octavian. She like won't stand for like she sees the stuff Octavian's doing, and she's like, you know what? Antony's the guy. Antony was Caesar's real heir. I mean, she's all up in it. She starts causing so much trouble. This is why Antony has to come back. Oh, fuck. She starts getting military. I mean, they're raising legions and stuff. Some historians will say she was doing it to get him back. Yeah. And she actually started losing and was like in danger of like her and her legions and his brother going down that she was like, hello, we kind of need you to come get this going. And instead of helping her, he defies her he meets her at the port like when he gets back to rome he's like bitch you better don't and he exiles her (gasps) and she kills herself and then he marries octavian's sister (gasps) and then he stays in rome as octavian's little brother-in-law for three years oh and cleopatra's like hello right does that sound like love oh the transactional police will, the cynics will say, oh, they had, they held hands and ran in rags together. Cute. But he fucking fucked his first What You know, mm-hmm. who's Antony? Where's Antony's heart? I'm torn. Right? <gasps> now you can tell me right now where you want, or you can wait until we, we go through the whole story. Cause when we come back from the break, we're going to watch these two cunts die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you might come to a different conclusion. So you can actually, I'll let you off the hook. Where are you at presently? Yeah, Do you yeah, think, yeah, yeah. With disclaimer, you may change your mind. Yes, I reserve the right to amend my decision. Yes. Uh, I think it can be both. I know that that's a weak answer. But sometimes I feel like when you are alone in the world, you look at certain people through rose-colored glasses. 
because they are your equal, because they share your values, because they share your needs, because they, it is a good partnership and you love them for those reasons. Maybe she wouldn't have been his first pick out of you know the whole crop, but you know what? Right now, she's looking real fucking good, you know? <laughs> and Alexandria's great, and you know what? You know what? She's funny. Yeah, she's funny. She's got a dead fish. <laughs> <laughs> She like she said that she said she said she keeps saying I'm a god. It doesn't hurt my feelings when she does that. Yeah, you know. I agree, man. And I ultimately kind of come down to the same thing. I really wanted to be like this is a love story, period. But that would assume that any of us, for ourselves even, could ascertain how much of our affections are purely because of an electricity between two hearts and has nothing to do with circumstance or comfort, or situation, you know? Yeah. And I think that, um, especially when you think about romantic partnerships like this, it's one thing. But it's sort of like, does everybody love their mother? <laughs> it's true. And at some point you're like, well, it's my mom. Yeah. So it just, well, she makes sense. She brought me into this world, so I have a certain amount of devote. Instantly, I do love you, mom. Lana, I love you. That's not the quite. I'm talking absolutely Other people's moms. Other people's moms. <laughs> this podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. I'm Chris. And I'm Mel. And together we host the podcast Spoil, Spoil My, My Movie. Movie. We were watching movies anyway. And we were having in-depth conversations about those movies, too. So, we decided to share our thoughts with the world. You can expect me to gripe about inaccurate details like supposedly cold weather, but you can't see anyone's breath. And you can expect me to be totally adorable, but also psychologically deep. And by the end of each episode, we'll provide our respective ratings. Using a rating scale custom-tailored to the movie in question. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts. A moment to say thank you to everyone who is listening. <laughs> yes, you. This is our 51st episode. Two years ago, I had the idea to take my lust for history and love of bullshitting with friends and put them together in a bi-monthly podcast with a foul name. <laughs> and to those of you who have been along since day one, thank you. To those who shared an episode with a friend, thank you. And the ones reaching out to me with great subjects and great guests. Thank you. And to those most noble who sometimes do all of that and also throw cash at me. Oh, thank you. <laughs> the latest to become Hilf patrons are Jenna M. Isabel D. Michael B. And Zoe L. Mm. Their generosity keeps my nose in books and my ass out of debt. <laughs> if you'd like to jump in bed with us, have access to bonus episodes, get Hilf merch, and hear your name here next time, yay! Go to patreon.com slash podcast and then... Follow me, follow me, follow me, follow. we return
from our break without knowing necessarily exactly the definition of love or if it existed in its purest form <laughs> between Antony and Cleopatra. Um, of course, I got to give you a story. Yes. I got to give you a story. It's, it, there's so me. many amazing ones. <laughs> this one, this story I called uh, Cleo Swallows. <laughs> yeah, she does. <laughs> this is a, a great story. As all of them, I claim nobody knows if it's true, but it is one of the oldest stories about Cleopatra. This was told in antiquity while she lived. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean it's any truer than any others, mm. but it is, and it was the most, one of the most repeated stories about Cleopatra okay. throughout history. While Antony and Cleopatra are having this summer of love in Egypt and just like banquets, parties, banquets, parties, ah, nah, we're gods. Cleopatra stands up and makes a, a loud declaration, a bet to Antony that she can swallow a meal worth $10 million. And Antony, of course, is like, <laughs> I know you can swallow, sister. Uh, <laughs> yes, I'll take that bet. I need that, you to specify for yeah. me. Like, is it a very expensive chicken? Exactly, <laughs> right? So he just goes, okay, I'll take that bet. Yeah. And Cleopatra plucks from her earring a single precious pearl, drops it into her wine, and as it dissolves, she swallows it in huh? one swing, thus swallowing a meal worth $10 million. Whoa, flex. I know, right? Yeah. I love the fact that, like, this is a story that we write about a woman that, like, we don't like. Yeah, <laughs> like, right? Jesus. They were like, can you imagine? Isn't that terrible? And, and history is like, <laughs> yeah, terrible is the right word. We kind of like it. Yeah. Um, so where we left, though, we left our, our lovers apart, right? Uh-huh. Antony is married to Octavian's sister. He's over there in Rome. He's done been there for years. Mm-hmm. Cleopatra has had his twins. So she's single momming it over there in Egypt, raising little Caesar, Caesarian, and Antony's twins, a boy and a girl, which is also considered very divine. Mm. She issued in one the labor. The perfect balance. Exactly. Yeah. The boy, I mean, this was a very big deal for her. And another sign, we are gods, another sign. This is ordained, you know? And uh, while Tony is over there in Rome, it's obviously not great. He is now Octavian's fucking brother-in-law. Yeah. Octavia's hot. She is kind of famously hot, but she's not. The queen, Isis, is fucking... And Alexandria is so beautiful. <laughs> and and Anthony's like, God damn it. This is not great. This is my star has not risen coming here. Yeah. And it becomes incredibly clear. Some historians say that Octavian assigned it, that it was like a mission he was told to go. Some phrase it as more Antony being like personal ambition, but he is like, if I'm going to do shit, if I'm going to be anything other than this, I got to go defeat the Parthenians. The Parthenians gotta fucking die, has to be subdued, and I'm the one to do it. And if I do, I will be the undisputed leader of Rome. Okay. So here's my question. Pop quiz. Are Parthenians, is Parthenon like a city-state? Here's the question. Ah, right? okay, fuck. Sorry. You have multiple choice. No, this is perfect. Multiple choice. Who are the Parthenians? Okay. <laughs> a, a small country that has been an ally of Rome, but then took side the side of Caesar's assassins as they were hiding mm-hmm, out there. Mm-hmm. Are the Parthenians, B, a huge empire founded by Alexander the Great 
and as big and as rich as Rome? Mm-hmm. Or are the Parthenians a growing religious cult bent on violence and the destruction of Rome? Ooh. <laughs> okay, I'm going to use deductive reasoning here. Okay, good. So Parthenian sounds like Parthenon, mm-hmm. which is Greek. Alexander the Great is was Greek, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go with B. Sister, <laughs> you are killing these hill quizzes. Oh my God. I just popped yes. a huge boner. <laughs> huge. That was me. That table is rising. My boner so I'm hard as rock. Yes. <laughs> it is Parth- uh, the Parthia is one of the greatest mysteries of the ancient world. Uh-huh. It was as big, as rich, and as powerful as Rome. Bigger uh-huh. at times. They had control of the Silk Road oh, going yeah. east. So their wealth was enormous. And they were constantly in battle. And Rome couldn't get them. Rome could conquer battle, get just about everybody. But Parthian, these guys, they were hard to get. Yeah. So that's the goal. Uh-huh. Get these goddamn Parthenians once and for all, and you will be it. You're the king of Rome, mm-hmm. right? So our guy, Anthony, is like, you know what, you guys? I'll go. I'll do it. I'll just go. Mm-hmm. I love you guys so much. He, now we don't, the Netflix documentary of Queen Cleopatra, which again is very worth watching. Um, <laughs> they portray that Anthony and Cleopatra had no communication, that he had not sent her any messages that since between the summer of love and him coming to defeat the Parthians that... She had not gotten any word from him. And they have this terrible scene where she's literally like, and like, you ghosted me kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, well, but to be Which fair, is a very reasonable thing. Not but a great post office at that time. That's the only historical reference that I encountered that uh-huh. suggested they weren't in contact that whole time. So mm-hmm. the documentary did their own deal. It was a very dramatic scene. But yeah. they were almost certainly in communication that whole time because when he gets to Syria, uh-huh. she's there. Isn't that weird? What? She meets him there. What are they doing in Syria? I so feeling... Syria is where the Parthenians live? Correct. Parthenia uh. is current, uh, present day uh, Iran oh. and includes a lot of, yeah, Syria and these guys. And Syria was also, Antioch is like the landing place. It's like the best place to get to the Parthenian centers and the, where he needs to go. And he is like, okay, Oh, and he gets to meet his twins. Cute. Oh, finally. <laughs> this is great. Um, and this is pre-war. So before he goes to fight the Parthenians, establishing not that Rome and also Antony are the mm-hmm. guys, right? And Octavian is all for this, whether he sent him to go or whatever. But he's like, yeah, for sure. Killing the Parthenians is like a big deal for us. Right. So Antony meets with Cleopatra. She's such a jet setter. I know. She's I know. always just like going to like meet all these dudes. And her handbag's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so... Antony's like, okay, Rome, here's the deal. Cleopatra's here. I've talked with her because this was all a diplomatic mission, of course. Took all winter. Oh, it was really hard negotiations. These negotiations were <laughs> rock hard most of the time. But here's what we've worked out. She, Cleopatra, is going to give us slash me everything we need. All the weapons, all the money, all the soldiers, all the access, all the everything we need to go get them Parthenians once mm-hmm. and for all. We, in exchange, we, I, Rome, have agreed to give her some of the oh, lands that were conquered and arrived. We're going to give her a lot of stuff back. We're going to give titles mm. to her and her kids. Mm, okay. That's some titles. Yeah. And Octavian's like, sounds great, pal. Go get them, tiger. Okay. So okay, Octavian's just like, whatever. Like, you, you, I don't have to be the dictator. Well, because still, Antony's doing this for Rome. Okay. So we're still, even though team. there's a lot of suspicions and a lot of eyebrows are up and a lot of warnings are going on, at the moment... 
they're still buds mm-hmm. and they're still both working as team Rome, mm-hmm. right? That's why you married his sister to just really let everyone know we're a family, yeah. right? So Antony goes into part, and Antony's a great general. He's great at war. This is what he did for Julius Caesar. It's one of his best assets. Mm-hmm. <gasps> Antony goes in there to whoop the Parthenians and loses <gasps> Kiki bad. He loses bad. He loses Why? it all. Primarily because the Armenians fuck him. Oh, there are some uh. betrayals and there are some desertions that he didn't anticipate, which yeah. always happens in these civil wars, right? So he comes back to Egypt after getting his ass handed to him and is like, okay, Rome, so... And this is fascinating what Mm -hmm. he does next. Uh, And Octavian, by the way, after he loses, right? Uh Octavian's like, that sucks. I'm so glad it was Cleopatra's money (laughs) and not ours. Why don't you come on home and get the spanking that you deserve for fucking that up? Right? And Antony's like, no, here's what we're going to do instead. He dresses as a god... Two gods, actually. She is Isis and Aphrodite, and he is Zeus and Dionysus, and they have his twins, and she has little Caesarean, and they have a huge party. Mm -hmm. This is called the Donation of Dionysus, is what history remembers this event is titled. If you want to Google it, it's called the Donation of Dionysus, right? And Antony and Cleopatra address all of Egypt, and they're like, here's the deal. Here is what... The situation is now. I'm Dionysus and Zeus. She's Isis and Orisis. My kids are going to inherit everything. Uh-huh. And here's what we, I, Rome, are now promising Cleopatra. Oh, fuck. Okay. Oh, who's pregnant again? Ding. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Okay. Uh, my son is now the king of Armenia and Parthia. His si- twin sister is now the queen of Libya. Little Caesar is officially declared Caesar's son. Not his distant nephew. Do with that what you want. Wait. We're going to recognize that this boy is the son of Julius Caesar, and we're going to make it official. But he was, he was officially the son. Mm, you know, not recognized. That Rome uh, didn't recognize him as Julius Caesar's son. So but biologically, like, well, he is. Biologically, right. we know it. Yeah, but there's that legal, the yeah, recognition, yeah, yeah, yeah. the admission, the like, yes. So we're going to recognize that this is Caesar's son. And these other two kids I have with Cleopatra are getting all this land and titles. Cleopatra's getting all this new land and titles. Mm-hmm. But they don't have Parthenia yet. Exactly. There's part of Parthia. Uh-huh. Exactly. The idea is... And you, your point, Kiki, is very clear, which is these are kind of the speeches of winners. Hold on. Big talk. You win and you go, I won. So now my kids and I decide and my mm-hmm. queen. This, you lost, girl. Yeah. I don't know why you think you get to do that. And yeah, also, it's not yours. <laughs> it's like that Eddie Izzard. Do you have a flag? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And this is not yours. To give away. <laughs> so I love that my friend Kiki sitting across the table is listening to this going, but that's not his to give away. It is literally what they're saying in Rome. Like, no. <laughs> okay. And this is part of the reason why this is the beginning of the end. I, mm. I know. I know. I hope you're feeling okay. This is a great story. You're doing amazing. I'm so glad. <laughs> and I do want, you know, I've been doing this podcast for a while. This is episode 50, by the way. Woo. And I talk about a lot of gross and dark shit. And the story of Cleopatra is one of suicide and is one that often when people go into it, they know that this is a story that includes suicide. That all being said, I do want to give a trigger warning at this point because it gets dark and suicidal. I was like, it ain't great. Fuck. If you 
came into listening to these episodes or to my kitchen table, knowing anything about Cleopatra, you probably knew a little bit about what she looked like because her image is iconic and you probably know she killed herself. That seems to be the parentheses around the common knowledge of Cleopatra. But even knowing all that, the big questions then and now are, why Mm -hmm. did she kill herself? And how did she kill herself? There's a lot of art and a lot of poetry that talks about the snake, a snake bitter, a poisonous asp. The most famous paintings of this act have her draped nearly nude, entirely nude, in bed with a snake bite, a snake wrapped around her arm. The snake is very prominent. We're going to get through both of those questions. Okay. Why and how. How do you go from being dressed as a demigod? Like, you and your husband are both two gods each. Yeah. And you just got granted all of this known land to killing yourself. So long way to fall. Why? This is less of a mystery than the how. A primo, first and foremost, is they're losing, girl. (laughs) They're loose. They can't physically, militarily win this one. Between the weird giveaway that Antony decided, I'm going to be giving all of these lands to all these people, and then his ass kicking by the Parthenians, he loses his military exponentially because these folks, his legionnaires, the folks that are fighting for Antony are already the ones who aren't necessarily Caesar's guys, right? So they're, were they Octavian? They're technically like, technically we're Roman and we Mm. listen to Octavian. You're our general, but what you're asking for is for us to revolt against Rome, to do something that Rome doesn't want us to do. So he's already got a division among his troops just on an individual. And you're also asking us to follow this Queen Cleopatra. And we don't love her. Cleopatra is a very divisive figure within Rome and among Roman citizens. Mm -hmm. So he has this problem with his legions. It's the same problem with the citizenry of Rome. The, the people of Rome have chosen Octavian. They oh, are they not questioning that will. They are not, you know, wondering about that. And the, among the reasons they're choosing Octavian, too, whether or not they liked him more, is because uh-huh. he's in Rome. <laughs> yeah. It also helps that he's actually here. And Antony's losing. How many times do we have to say this? You just lost. Buddy, guy, you lost. <laughs> yeah, what are you even doing? Right? Wait, okay, I didn't know that they had chosen Octavian. This is, yeah. this is news. This is news. The, well, and it, was, it wasn't really that they chose. It was that this was the first time the question yeah. had really been asked. Uh-huh. So it wasn't even like, they asked, who do you want? And the people weren't sure. It was like the first time the question really comes up, which is like, oh, there's daylight between these two. It was clear that the people were with Octavian yeah. from the very beginning. Okay. Octavian then pushes that, allows for that to happen simply by not aggressing against Antony because there's a great love for Antony. Uh He says, we're going after Cleopatra. (gasps) So he doesn't, all of the imagery, all of the language says directly or indirectly, she got another one of our wonderful Romans. She's been chewing up our Roman leaders and they can then spare anyone who has any hesitation about fighting against Antony yeah. by making it clear you're not fighting against Antony. You're fighting against Cleopatra. In fact, if you want, you can say you're saving Antony from this horrible woman. Yeah. She was very easy to hate. Yeah. So these th- situations combined 
they just start to lose and it's visible that they're losing. They don't have the backing. And then the battle that seals that, like if that was the feeling and that was kind of the trend, but like we didn't have the internet yet. So we were just sort of feeling it emotionally. Yeah. It comes to blows when they lose the battle of Actium. This is a huge water battle, Navy battle Uh for which Cleopatra's Navy and her ships were critical. And she's on the ship girl. She is in this with Antony. He's got a bunch of ships. She's got her ships battle, battle, battle. They're losing more defections, more retreats. It's not going well. And at a critical moment in the battle of Actium, Cleopatra turns her ship and all of her ships around and goes back to Egypt. And this is a very controversial moment. Some historians tell you Antony fucking loved it. He said, yeah, bitch, we're losing. Go. You need to save them ships for another day and go save Egypt. (laughs) Get your titties up in Egypt so they don't ransack it while we're gone. Right. And I love you, baby. I'll see you later. (laughs) Some historians, including the Netflix documentary, have Antony being like, she what? Oh, shit. (laughs) I doubt that. I doubt very much that happened. Or even if he was like, wait, what? He still would have been like, good. Yeah. You know? Um, So that was the last front of any sort of expectation, even reasonable expectation, that Antony and Cleopatra could have militarily succeeded. Uh After the Battle of Actium, it's all retreat, defense, negotiate. Uh Antony and Cleopatra go back behind the walls of Alexandria and hunker down. They send the kids, get the kids fucking out of here, go to Cyprus, go into hiding, sent with trusted people, and it's... Shit, it's the bunker, yeah. right? Kind of stuff. And in the midst of all this, while Antony and Cleopatra are walled up in the city of Alexandria, pretty much knowing exactly what's going to happen next. Now we're negotiating, mm-hmm. sending things back and forth. And <laughs> Antony and Cleopatra are like, all right, all right, all right. We're totally going to lose. We got it. How about we go to exile and Caesarian rules Egypt? You know, that. Okay. Mm-hmm. What if <laughs> me and Antony go with you as your prisoners and Antony's two twins? But no, you're not into that either. Okay. <laughs> and Octavian was like, okay, I'll let you live Cleopatra and maybe your kids if you kill Antony. Oh, he made that offer a lot. Whoa. He offered that many times. He wants blood. Mm. Yeah. Or... I'll fuck you. You love fucking Romans. How about you fuck me for a while? My wife and I have talked about it. And this seems good for the country. Exactly. <laughs> and she refuses him. So we are now at an impasse. Why would she refuse him? Fuck him. Well, now that's because it, maybe it was love. That's one of the arguments the lovers will say. Why did she? It would have been in her. She might have. Or she was a very wise strategic woman. It was like, fuck no. I'll be in chains. I'll be a slave. My children, mm. you know what I mean? Maybe, but yeah, why didn't she? That seems like the one way out here. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure he was under. like, fuck. <laughs> all right. So yes, why didn't she? But these offers were being made. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, while all this is happening and things are becoming clearer and clearer and clearer, Cleopatra has built a mausoleum for herself. And she, <laughs> some historians say that she and Antony had made a suicide pact. That is not necessarily assured, but I do think by their actions, by everything they've refused, they certainly seemed well aware that their death was going to be the end of this story and just how would it go. But in the meantime, as Octavian is putting 
Alexandria under siege. Mm-hmm. Antony's out there with his sword fucking still kicking ass and taking names and fighting. And everyone's like, wow, there's a little victory. And he still gets it. I mean, it's just, he can't. The first siege of, of Alexandria is like terrible and it's cracked. They don't quite get him, but it's still pretty scary. <laughs> and Cleopatra gathers her girls and they say the vastness of her fortune. It could not have been obviously all of her fortune, but it sounds like her best shit mm-hmm. <laughs> in this room. And her plan is to set she herself and all of her shit on fire. Whoa. She's like, nobody's getting my shit. That's right. You don't get me and you don't get any of my shit. But before she kills herself that way, lighting the fire, she sends a messenger out to Antony, who's fighting. Tell him I killed myself. Now, Shakespeare says... Can you imagine being that messenger, first of all? Be like, yeah. do you want to talk about yeah. this? How are you? <laughs> I can yeah. get you a crisis counselor. <laughs> you think that messenger had a bad... Oh, wait. There's another oh, messenger coming. So, so, right. Shakespeare says that, that Cleopatra sent this message because her intention was to give Antony that just kick in the pants you need to really go stick it to them. And that maybe hearing that she died would give him this, like, glorious sort of surge of power. Yeah. Antony is a sad drunk who's known this was going to happen for a long time, Uh right? He was ready for it. So when the messenger comes and says, Cleopatra killed herself. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. He says, well, fuck. All right. You kill me now. And the messenger's messenger's like, what? And he's like, yeah, kill me. I can't. I can't. I can't live. If she's dead, do it. And the messenger's like, absolutely can't. And he goes, you have to. And the messenger kills himself instead I of killing would too. Mark Antony. Okay? <laughs> Mark Antony is like, all right then. And he tries to kill himself and boggles it, fucks it up so bad that his guards, his friends find him fucking bloody and nearly dead. And he's like, you have to kill me. And they're like, no, Tony, no. How many people have to tell you no? Yeah. And they're like, we were not going to do it. And he said, then take me. To Cleopatra. And the story is that they went through shit to get... There are stories of ladders and trying to get him up through a window to get into her chamber where Kiki he does ultimately get and lies bleeding in her lap and dies in her arms. <sighs> Cleopatra covers herself in blood, goes a little nuts for a second, who wouldn't? Mm-hmm. Then she cleans up and she heads to the mausoleum to light the shit up. Let's burn it. Mm-hmm. And before she can, she's arrested and taken prisoner. Fuck by Octavian gets her, gets her and stops the fire, stops her. No. And you know, cause she's like, I saw what they did to that giraffe. I'm not going. Wait, what did they do to the giraffe? I know. Well, the giraffe was actually, I'll tell you about the giraffe. Oh, the fuck. Giraffe was fine. The giraffe was but the giraffe had to go through the parade. She remembers, you know, Cleopatra remembers her sister would put in chains, mm-hmm. sent through that triumph. The last time she went to Rome, she was king shit. And they are going to make a feast out of seeing her humiliated. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Whatever this is. And now, especially since she didn't agree to any, they had to force her to not. And she's like, fuck no. So we know now after turning the pages, flipping to the end of this yeah, history, yeah. we know she poisons herself. She takes her own life. We also have to assume 
this was done clandestinely because Octavian would have been well aware mm -hmm. that she wants to die. He had to stop her from doing it. Antony had already killed himself and he needs this prize. Right. He wants desperately to bring this bitch back to Roman chains, right? Now, we don't know how she got the poison, what kind of poison it was, how she took it. We do know she was very, very good with poison. It was one of the many things she studied up there in the Library of Alexandria. Some historians give her so much credit, think she's so good with poison, <laughs> that the body count we've had up to this point, they're all like Cleopatra poison. They're like, Fluvia, that was Cleopatra poisoned her. Her dad, Cleopatra poisoned her dad. Both of her brother dad, her brother husbands, poisoned both of her brother. <laughs> like, they're just like, anyone who drops dead in this story, they're like, Cleopatra poisoned him. Oh, I, and I like possible. that theory. That, I mean, that would really ascertain her power. It really isn't that far-fetched, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but we don't know. Um, we know her two companions died alongside her. They also poisoned themselves. Um, and we know that she requested that her body be buried and consumed with Mark Antony's. We don't know whether they honored that request or not. Mm. We don't he, know where they're buried. It was shrouded in mystery intentionally. A lot of this stuff is mysterious for a number of reasons. Some of it is mysterious because they wanted it to be a mystery. This is one of them. They couldn't have their bodies, their place be a memorial to be a, a rally and cry, a place where people would come together, you know what I mean, and potentially launch a rebellion. So mm -hmm. where their bodies, were they burned? Were they buried? Were they entombed? Nobody knows. And I think the snake thing is so cool. <laughs> yeah. And if you are going to dress as Cleopatra for a toga party or for Halloween, bring your snake. Yeah. I think it's a great touch. Plus, snakes were very important to their icon and their faith and their icons and such. But it was almost definitely not a snake. Yeah. How would you sneak that in there? Yeah. A. Yeah. Snakes. <laughs> you know, you're right. like, hey, what is that, Cleopatra? I'd be like, my lunch. <laughs> um, yeah. Snakes are a little harder to, hi harder to hide. Uh -huh. Also... It's not hard, I think, to get a snake to bite you if you really want a snake to bite you. But to make sure, to know for sure, when the stakes are as high as they are for Cleopatra, that that snake bite is going to land on the right place with the right amount of venom to kill you has to be pretty sure. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't seem like the surest thing. And even if you could guarantee that snake bites you in just the right place to kill you right away, is it going to bite you with your two friends? <laughs> so we got, is it going to have enough So well, how many snakes we got in this thing? Like, it's just right, not. Right, right, right. How many times is a snake biting? It's probably not a snake. Yeah. Now, since then, okay, this, this all went down 40 BC, give or take. Mm -hmm. 30 BC is when she died, which means if you're looking at ages, Cleopatra was old enough to be like Jesus's grandma, okay? We've had over 2,000 years to reflect on this woman, to piece her story together. And it seems to me that the further a figure gets in history, the shinier it gets, meaning yeah. it's more attractive, but it's also more reflective, we start to just see it as a mirror, uh -huh. the further away it gets. And there is perhaps no person more that epitomizes that more than Cleopatra, because for the first humans that revisited her story, we're talking about these religious orders, right? The founding of Christianity, the founding of Islam, the founding of all of these religions started after, yeah. right? Judaism had existed. And they pick up this image of Cleopatra and they use her as this wicked woman, this perfect image of the wicked woman, a warning to women, don't be like her, a warning to men, don't love women like her. She's brought all of these great men down. Right. This is where the idea of the snake 
and the apple fit right in. It's yeah. part of the reason I suspect Devilish. why the snake and the apple live with her because she can be Eve and she can be the devil and she can be the wicked woman. She can be all these things and she fits right in there and it's perfect. Right. Right. Until you get to a century where feminism is a thing. Uh-huh. Who is a woman? What is a woman's place in this world? And then we bring up Cleopatra and we're like, yeah, she fucked who she wanted. Yeah. She had her goals. She was smart. She was hated for her strength, her wickedness, the things that every previous century had said was her fault. Mm-hmm. We are going to hold up and see as strength and see as independence. And we are going to lift her up, not as the wicked woman, but as a, an icon, a hero, someone to love. Yeah. Then you come ahead to where we are and people will die on the hill that her skin was black or not black because we are in a time where race and ethnicity are the cornerstone of our identity and our politics mm-hmm. and our so many things. Right. She, I suspect, will continue to be a figure on whom we pivot until we have forgotten her name. And I doubt that we will ever forget her name. Do you have any questions for me, Kiki? Ooh, okay, that was a very chilling, very good ending. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want to say anything because I was like, oh, it's coming to a perfect close. Uh, (laughs) Bring up the music. (laughs) Uh, Okay, you mentioned that she had these two really cool friends. Who are they? Mm, Iris and Charmian Charmian. are her two friends. Okay. And yeah, they are her companions. They, uh, I have no doubt, they were her spies, they were her eyes, they were her ears. Yeah. And at least she had some like devoted people in her corner. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause not her siblings. Yeah. I, I still got to go with, I think it's mixed in terms of whether it was love or, mm. uh, yeah. Cause I, I still think they're like equals, like they need each other and like, who else are they going to fucking date? <laughs> you know? I mean, I think you really have to, you have to start with the tricky definition of what is love. Yeah. And I don't know if that's ever going to, you know, to, before you can define whether or not these two were actually in love, it is clear that they were devoted to each other. Right. That they had shared goals, they had shared enemies. Uh-huh. And in that critical moment, uh-huh. the lights are about to go out and your divinity is about to disappear. That's the hand that yeah. he wants to hold. You know what I mean? Um, I do have one uh, amendum for you because it was something I was curious about, uh-huh. which is what happened to them kids? Oh, they probably all dead, right? Was that your prediction? Yeah. <laughs> They're not going to let those little free-range heiresses and heirs. <laughs> <laughs> right? Be like, if I've learned one thing, is that yeah. none of these luck get to live. Well, <laughs> um, you know, it's actually, if you really want to impress somebody at a party, uh-huh. <laughs> and somebody, and I'm sure you do, <laughs> I'm sure you're talking <laughs> yes, about history always. as much as I do, <laughs> that somebody says Cleopatra was the last pharaoh of Egypt, or Cleopatra was the last queen of Egypt. Is not Technically correct. Wasn't it Hatshepsut? Uh, no, that was one of the first. Oh, okay. She dies, meaning her son Caesarian was the last pharaoh for about 18 days <gasps> because she declared him her co-ruler. Remember that male-female thing? Mm-hmm. So she, after Caesar is assassinated and she hops it back to, to uh, Alexandria, she poisons her younger brother husband that last, the second one, so that it's just Caesarian, and she makes him co-ruler. So it's she and Caesarian. So when she kills herself, technically, Caesarian is the last pharaoh of Egypt. Octavian has Caesarian executed. Wait, where's the twins? The twins were sent to another island. They are captured. Get 
this. Because they had twins. Antony and Cleopatra had twins and a son. Remember, she was pregnant mm-hmm. when he made his donation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dionysus, right? So, uh, <laughs> are you ready? Yeah. This is nuts. Okay. <laughs> Cleopatra's kids go to live with Octavia. That's Octavian's sister who was married to Mark Antony. Octavia was already raising Antony's kids from Fluvia. Oh. And now she goes ahead and raises Cleopatra's kids with Antony as well. Octavian, in his generosity, allows Mark Antony's children to live. And get this, little Cleopatra Jr. marries into a royal family and ultimately becomes Queen Cleopatra of Algeria. What? And her line lives on. <gasps> so there's descendants of Cleopatra. Uh-huh. <sighs> That's heavy. <laughs> They're out there. Where are they? Oh, I know. Ooh, we got 23 <gasps> me the shit. <laughs> so, yeah, right? Get you whoa, to whoa, your whoa, DNA whoa, whoa. and see what's cooking. Um, Kiki Anderson, that was hot history fucking man i just had a blast yeah i can't thank you enough for assigning me this just behemoth of of history and intrigue it was a joy yeah thanks for having me and bestowing all that knowledge on me i feel like my brain is just like (laughs) (laughs) well good see now this what i strive for is that if you're ever looking for small talk Mm -hmm. Just like really critical, you know, this elevator has been stuck for hours. <laughs> that you can be like, did you know that Cleopatra's daughter was raised? But you know, you know. Yeah. Um, Good icebreaker. Was it love or was it business? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, it was a joy. And I am going to continue to be a fan of Indecent, your podcast. I would love to come be a guest on your podcast. Please. Anytime you want me on your microphone, I am yours to with oh that'd be great we'd love to have you thanks again to kiki anderson for joining me for this sexy two-parter on one of the baddest bitches to have ever lived man that was fun follow kiki everywhere and see her perform live whenever you can As for us, we are about to enter the month of December, and as the joyous chaos of the season descends, I am going to be releasing little stocking stuffers into your RSS throughout the month. Interviews, holiday stories, and bonus material from episodes of yore. (laughs) You'll find the next regular HILF episode in the new year, and it's a banger. Guys, I jump into the ring with Mike and Jimmy, the hosts of the show, Bacon is My Podcast, and together we hilf an incredible chapter from the pages of pro wrestling history, the jaw-dropping real-life drama behind the Montreal Screwjob. Until then, our theme song was composed and performed by Kat Perkins. A reminder that you can find my sources, links to the books, documentaries, and articles I reference in the summary of this episode or by emailing us, hilfpodcast at gmail.com or messaging us on social media at hilfpodcast. This has been Hilf, history I'd like to fuck with Dawn Brody. I'm Dawn Brody, reminding you that history is a party and everyone is coming.